Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 5th of July, 2021. This is episode 449 of Bitcoin and... I don't know if this is going to be a long one or a short one today, guys. Uh, when I first started going through the news, or honestly, it was kind of like slim pickings, man. So there's, amazingly enough, there's kind of a little bit more than I wanted from Cointelegraph, but whatever. It, it'll just have to, to, have to, we'll just have to get through it together, okay? Hope you guys had a really great 4th of July weekend. Um, I didn't see a whole lot of fireworks where I was, but God knows I heard them, man. It was like freaking war zone out here. Um, let's see here. What, what we got going on? Oh, I need to, need to make sure that you guys realize that you can listen to this podcast on the Breeze wallet. B-R-E-E-Z. No, they are not a sponsor, but I am incentivized to talk about them because you can stream me Satoshi's per minute for listening to this podcast on the Breeze podcast app. It is, in fact, inside the wallet, so it's not like a separate podcast player. It just happens to be inside the wallet. And I've got it set up to where those Satoshis that you stream me on a minute-per-minute basis go directly into my lightning node. It's freaking awesome. Let's go ahead and start this off with new report places United States at top of crypto-ready countries. The United States leads the world in Bitcoin ATMs. Apparently, that's a metric here for Coindesk's Cheyenne Lignan or Ligon, Ligon, L-I-G-O-N. I don't know how to pronounce it. Let's just get it going on. The United States is the world's most crypto-ready country, according to new research published by the crypto education platform CryptoHead. CryptoHead's 2021 Crypto Ready Index considered the number of crypto ATMs in each country and their accessibility the legality of crypto and whether banks can use it and the number of online searches for crypto-related terms in calculating a crypto-ready index for 200 countries and territories, the United States ranked first. Ooh, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not sure about that, but whatever. It had a crypto-ready score of 7.13 out of 10, Cyprus ranked second and Singapore third, both scoring under 6.5. To be sure, the study is limited in scope, failing to touch on a number of factors that could shape a country's readiness for widespread adoption of cryptocurrencies, including its tax laws and wider regulatory environments. According to, woo, why did you move? Oh my God, I'm sorry. This is like my, my, my report here just kind of decided to get all jicky on me. Uh, according to data collected by CryptoHead, the United States has 17,436 crypto ATMs, nearly 16,000 more than the second-ranked country in this category, which is Canada. That number is growing rapidly in the United States as Bitcoin ATM companies like CoinCloud rapidly expand installations nationwide. 
The rise underscores Bitcoin's increasing popularity as a means of payment. Alongside the number of ATMs, CryptoHead also looked at the number of people per ATM. The United States placed first here as well, with a crypto ATM for every 19,023 people compared to Canada's second place ratio of one ATM for every 26,265. Japan ranked last with a single Bitcoin ATM for its 126 million people, although 24 countries did not even have a crypto ATM. CryptoHead also awarded the U.S. and 39 other countries with particularly favorable legal environments for crypto, a maximum of two points. One point if crypto was legal to own and one point if it was allowed to be used in banks. Lastly, CryptoHead also examined the number of cryptocurrency online searches compared to the previous year's data to indicate rising interest among each country's population. Cyprus ranked first with nearly 34,000 crypto searches for every 100,000 people, an almost 130% increase from the year before. In many countries, interest in crypto is also growing rapidly. Romania saw the largest year-on-year increase in crypto searches at 331% with countries like Greece, Canada, the United Kingdom, and Saudi Arabia not far behind. So I guess we're off to the races again, even though we've had an over, you know, like an overnight dump in price. I still don't get y'all. I I I don't. I I don't get y'all people out there that are just that that just sell this shit. Cuz you know who's buying, right? Great big great big whales. We'll get to that in a minute here. Green Edge, not Green Ridge, but and not Green Bridge. Green Edge, I D G E. Green Edge generation to establish new carbon neutral Bitcoin mining facility. Casey Carrillo is writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. According to a press release, Greenage Generations Holding Incorporated intends to establish a second Bitcoin mining operation in South Carolina. The facility will be entirely carbon neutral, which we all know is a bullshit term, right? But it's just going this way, so you might as well know about it. Quote, the site, a retired printing plant, previously drew approximately 80 megawatts of power and has expansion potential beyond that capacity, states the release. A printing plant? I mean, if it was an aluminum smelter, I could see 80 megawatts, but to print 80 megawatts? I mean, what kind of printers are you guys using? Jesus. The the move contributes to a growing trend of increasing investment in renewable energy, a positive in terms of of the public perception of Bitcoin mining. Yeah, you spelt programming wrong there, pal. Quote, approximately two thirds of the electricity at the site is sourced from zero carbon sources such as nuclear power, making it an attractive location for Greenage, according to the release. And it goes on to state, quote, Greenage has committed to offsetting the operation's remaining carbon footprint, building on its record in New York State of operating a fully carbon neutral mining business, end quote. Such innovation also comes on the heels of a mass migration of hash rate from China, a notoriously dirty Bitcoin mining center. Oh, for God's sakes. Coupling each industry orientation with geopolitics that supports the increasing use of renewables in Bitcoin mining creates great potential for clean energy usage in the industry. Quote, this is an important step in Greenidge's strategy to build upon our unique experience 
in environmentally sound Bitcoin mining at additional locations across the country. CEO of Greenage, Jeff Kurt said on the development. So a bunch of thumb sucking idiots are out there and they're actually affecting shit. Okay. So what does this mean for Bitcoin mining? Nothing. It doesn't really mean anything for Bitcoin mining. However, since this trend is, is, is here and it's going to continue as much as we might point and laugh, it, this should be used as a weapon in your toolkit. You should be pointing this shit out to any idiot that starts trying to run over your ass with the, but Bitcoin mining's dirty truck. Yeah, just pull this shit out and say, well, these guys are not doing that. I mean, if here, here's the, the honest scoop here is this shit's going to go on, right? We all know it's kind of bullshit, right? But it's just going to continue. As such, you might as well use it to your benefit wherever you can. And that means argumentation, right? Somebody was like, well, it's, Bitcoin's dirty. It's going to boil the oceans. Just point to this kind of crap and, and watch their expressions change into, oh, well, I guess it's okay then. Uh, okay, and we got another trend. Uh, the spooks are out in force, apparently on Friday. Ransomware group Revil strikes again, demands $70 million in Bitcoin from 200 United States firms. Um, before we even read this article, I'm just going to make this fo the following statement. I do not believe for a second and a half that Revil is a Russian-based uh, thing. I think it's a group of spooks. And I think that they're doing this because they want to push yet another narrative beyond the dirty mining narrative that we've had to suffer and, and getting into the ransomware. And it's not like that's, you know, should be news to y'all. And it certainly isn't news to me, but what is news here is all of a sudden in one day, $70 million in Bitcoin from 200 United States firms. This is a spook show guys. I don't think this is organic at all. Not one freaking bit. So, Sebastian Sinclair tells us more from Coindesk. Ransomware hacking group Revil brought the networks of at least 200 U.S. companies to their knees on Friday and now demands $70 million in Bitcoin. Australia's ABC News reported on Saturday Revil had targeted software supplier Casilla, who I've never heard of before, and used its network management package to spread the ransomware via the cloud. Over 1 million machines are said to be infected, according to various other reports. The Russian, yeah, right. The Russian-based ransomware group is now demanding the Bitcoin in exchange for a decryptor for the infected machines. Quote, on Friday, we launched an attack on managed service providers. More than 1 million systems were infected. A post from the dark website Happy Blog reads, in May, Revil attacked, you may remember this, Colonial Pipeline and managed to get the company to pay $5 million in ransom after its functionality and services were restricted, sparking a gas crisis in the eastern United States. JBS Holdings, the world's largest meat company by sales, also paid an $11 million ransom in a May 30th attack uh, against it by the exact same group. So, okay, so this shit is not was not over with JBS and, and Colonial, and we all knew that. 
it's just going to get worse. And this one, there's, you know, honestly, like, okay, so let's talk about a little bit about the carbon neutral narrative and the dirty mining shit. So that started coming out. And amazingly enough, the mining people uh, started, okay, I guess, I don't know. I don't want to say he did their war- he did the warning or anything like that, but they it's clear that there's a trend towards this whole carbon neutral bitcoin mining thing. So, but what what can you do with the ransomware narrative? Well, I guess the only way to do that one is that a bunch of bitcoiners need to start a company or, you know, not need to, but let's just say how to combat it. A bunch of bitcoiners start a bitcoin company that offers like really good digital security auditing uh like uh oh like uh, yeah what am i trying to say we'll audit your systems for dirt cheap and do a damn fine job at it because it's out of the goodness of our heart short of that i'm not sure how you combat the uh the uh, ransomware narrative especially if they're not taking any other cryptocurrency see this is and this is what I don't, you know, this is what I'm not getting out of Coindesk. Did they ask for Monero? Did they ask for Ethereum? If they did, and it's not in this report, then that's Coindesk's fault for pointing the finger at Bitcoin. If they didn't ask for anything but Bitcoin, then that just suggests a pointed attack. It is probably not a Russian group. It is probably CIA or some kind of bull, like domestic three-letter agency here at home that's doing it to give Bitcoin a bad name. Why? Because why would you want to lose all of your power, even though it's making the world an absolutely atrocious place to live? My God, is there any way humanity's ever going to have any kind of fun ever again? I mean, I'm serious, man. I look, I look around. I don't even, I don't even read the news anymore, except for Bitcoin news. And just what I, what I hear on the street, what I hear people talking about, it's just so pathetic that we sit here as Americans and, and honestly, you know, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, I mean, like most of the first world and probably most of the third world, nobody's having any fun. There's no great projects for hum, you know, humans to gaze up at the sky and uh, in wonder and awe anymore. There's nothing going on in humanity that just makes us happy to be humans. It's just a bunch of rent-seeking fuckheads who have nothing better to do with the limited amount of time that they have on this planet left, i.e. Charlie Munger, and apparently just get their kicks out of seeing what else that they can screw up. This is why Bitcoin, I want to have fun again. I really do. I want to have fun. I want to see projects that are brought to the fore that make people just stare up at the sky and go, dude, we're kicking some ass. But until Charlie Munger and people like him are like six foot in the ground of natural causes, I'm not saying go out and do anything. I mean, he's 97 years old, dude. Surely any day, any day now, Charlie Munger is going to fall over dead. And hopefully Warren Buffett goes with him. <clears throat> because these particular two people are are representative of the class of people who apparently find it fun to completely control or help other people to control every 
aspect of every citizen on the face of this planet. It's demented. It's sickening. It's sociopathic. It's, and I would say, it's like, well, people will say, well, why don't you run? Why don't you run for, for government office? Because that's not going to fix anything. You know, I mean, it's just not. The whole point about, you know, one of the things behind Bitcoin that I love so much is that it will fix this, but it's just apparently going to take a lot longer than we thought. Although, honestly, I mean, what's my time horizon here? It's only been, it's only been alive for 12 years and look what it's done already. Kind of amazing when you think about it. So that's the one project that we that humanity has undertaken that does make me stare up in the sky with wonder and awe that's the bitcoin project and just what it's what it means to other people what it's what it's affected in like whole companies being built upon it the i don't know man i mean that stand from that standpoint i do get excited but that's the only thing we got going on for from humanity the rest of it's just being controlled by people like Charlie Munger, who was singing the Communist Chinese Party's praises over the weekend. It was disgusting, honestly, man. Anyway, Bitcoin mining records the largest difficulty drop ever. Here's what miners say. So, unless you were living under a rock, you did see the 28% drop in uh, difficulty, which was a record. And we still have 12-minute blocks amazingly enough. Let's get into more of it by Aaron Gank. He's writing for uh, Decrypt. Bitcoin's mining difficulty fell by 28% today, the largest drop in the network's history. The decline shows the severe impact of China's recent crackdown on its Bitcoin miners. Mining difficulty measures the computational power required to validate Bitcoin transactions and consequently how hard it is to earn new Bitcoin. The network adjusts the difficulty each fortnight to reflect the level of competition among miners. Lower mining difficulty indicates less competition. That's not entirely true where they said the uh, mining difficulty measures the computational power required to validate Bitcoin transactions. That's not correct. That's not correct is to mine the block. The nodes validate the transactions. Once a block is mined, those already previously validated transactions are then ordered within that block. All right, so let's get that shit straight. Uh, today's difficulty mining drop follows China's crackdown on Bitcoin miners, which were responsible for an estimated 65% of the network's hash rate. Well before the government started to shut down miners last month, Bitcoin's hash rate peaked at 198 exahashes per second. On April the 15th, after the crackdown, the hash rate sunk to 89 exahashes per second. Chinese miners are now immigrating in mass or selling mining machines to foreign mining farms. But until China's Bitcoin miners find new homes, non-Chinese miners stand to benefit from the reduced difficulty, which make it cheaper and easier to mine Bitcoin. Quote, all other miners who continue to operate gain a commensurate amount of market share and therefore daily block rewards, Ben Gannon, chief managing or mining officer at Toronto-based Bitfarms, told Decrypt. Peter Wall, CEO of London-based Argo Mining, told Decrypt that while miners in the West are trying to capitalize on the gap left by Chinese crackdowns, the market for mining sites is booming. Quote, displaced Chinese miners are searching the globe for appropriate hosting sites 
for their machines and that means in places like North America, power and space are at a premium like never before, he said. The Chinese government crackdown and subsequent exodus of miners has contributed to a halving of Bitcoin's price. Oh, for God's sakes, I don't think it's all that. It started with Elon and all the rest of the FUD. The reduced hash rate <clears throat> also means that there aren't as many computers backing the network, making it less secure. Dude, <coughs> we have not seen hash rate levels this low since last year. Okay, last year. And all of a sudden, it's like some kind of security hole. What, we weren't secure last year? You could have fooled me. I'm pretty sure that we were damn secure last year and we were secure the year before that. This whole, this whole retracement theolo uh, theology that these people bring in, like when they want to scare the piss out of you, stop listening to it. We, we were at the exact same hash rate last year. Last year. And nobody was freaking out. Nobody was like, oh my God, we've hit an all-time high of 89 exahashes per second. Shit, that's not enough by half. Nobody was saying that. And here we are with these idiots writing pieces like this, scaring the piss out of everybody. Don't get just, oh, for God's sakes. But let's continue. The crackdown is good for Bitcoin in the long run, said Josh Goodbody, who used to, who used to lead Huobi's mining sales in the West before he became COO of crypto custodian Credo. He said the network is now less reliant on the Chinese government. The woes may not be over anytime soon. Bitcoin will, once again, adjust for difficulty in two weeks. But the change is unlikely to be this dramatic, miners told Decrypt. Quote, while we may see some more hash rate in China come offline over the next few weeks, it will be small compared to what we've already seen and likely offset by the first miners relocating to new facilities, said Gagnon. In any case, nearly all of the Chinese hash rate has come offline already. Wall said that Chinese miners want to get back to normal as soon as possible. Quote, for miners looking to relocate, Time is of the essence. The reduction in hash rate and subsequent dip in mining difficulty isn't going to last forever, he said. But it's difficult to determine when and where Chinese mining operators will reinstall their machines, said Gagnon, since the scale of Chinese infrastructure simply doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. The world doesn't operate at Chinese speed, he said. The digital currency then is clearly still subject to real-world constraints. Well, duh. <laughs> That's why it's proof of work. Of course, if it's going to be a proof of work system, then of course it's going to have you know external shit. But proof of stake, the externalities there is the greed and the hubris of the human elements involved, right? And that's that is actually dispersed amongst a very few set of people. Whereas Bitcoin mining and proof of work is wherever you can get this shit at which means there's a much wider pool of people that will not generally collude together to screw over the network that gives them their bread and butter. All right, that's gonna be the, one of the main differences that I see between proof of work and proof of stake is a much larger pool of externalities that cancel each other out, sort of like two waveforms, if they're you know, similar, similar, uh, <clears throat> similar frequency will cancel each other out if they're out of phase. But when you've got just a very few people 
who are in control of a system, well, you've got bigger problems, man. Anyway, let's do this one. <clears throat> this is one I don't normally read from, but uh, saw this yesterday, figured we'd go through it. This is NBC News, just straight up NBC, right? Like not, not, you know, not some kind of weird, you know, crypto coin magazine or something like that. No, this is just straight line mainstream media. At a summer camp, juice boxes and Bitcoin mining. Let's see how poorly this is written and, and, or how incorrectly this is written. I'm not sure yet because I haven't read it, right? But David Ingram, I hope what I read is not going to be an embarrassment. I hope you get this shit right. Now, this was actually all the way back from June the 25th. So it's not like brand new, but it's new enough. At a Los Angeles summer camp this week, the children enjoyed a petting zoo, drank from juice boxes during snack time, and played a game that involved tossing dozens of balls on top of a parachute. And they learned about Bitcoin. And no, they're not saying cryptocurrency. They're actually writing the word Bitcoin in here. In a sign of the bubbling enthusiasm for digital currencies, the Crypto Kids Camp began Monday in a warehouse in a busy port district. Over five days, the camp combined activities that would be common at any summer camp with a crash course in how to think about, buy, and even mine Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. This week, 26 kids aged 5 to 17 participated on the idea that no one is too young to join the Bitcoin economy. Most were non-white as part of an international push by the, or sorry, intentional push by the organizers. Quote, most of us grew up in school and nobody ever taught us how money worked, said camp founder Naja Roberts, who is black and started the camp as one way to try to close the racial wealth gap. Quote, therefore, we really miss the significance of savings and investing and how these things came about, end quote. I'm going to pause right there. This woman knows exactly where the failure in public school is. And I can bitch and I can moan about teaching kids how to use uh, different pronouns. What are your pronouns? And all the bullshit, the attendant bullshit that goes along with all this new social construction crap. I could point at that and say, that's the failing, but it's not. It's not. Because they didn't even teach us this shit when I went to high school. When I went to elementary school, they taught us how to count coins. They taught us that 10 dimes makes a dollar. And, you know, 20 nickels makes a buck, but they sure as shit didn't teach us how it worked. Our kids are not getting taught how money works to this day. That's the failure. There's the failure. All the rest of it, like, you know, a reading apologists bullshit, uh, having like history books, like basically rewritten because somebody got their feels hurt one day. While terrible and bad and horrid, that's not the real problem. The real problem is that nobody was ever taught how money works. And I, I can almost guarantee you that it's, it's not just the United States. You keep people stupid about how their money works, and they'll be your slave forever. Anyway, the camp, in part of a trend toward young adults and even children becoming immersed in cryptocurrency through online trading exchanges, school clubs, social media, and other outlets. In Georgia, state lawmakers this year considered a bill to require high school students to take a course on personal finance, including cryptocurrency, and although coding camps to learn computer programming 
have been around for many years, Bitcoin camps are relatively new. Roberts, who is 50, founded her nonprofit camp in 2019 after several years as a Bitcoin investor and entrepreneur. She owns a business in nearby Inglewood where people can get in-person help to buy two digital currencies, Bitcoin and, you guessed it, some other shitcoin, an unusual retail presence for a digital currency exchange. This week marked a return for the camp, which like many closed <clears throat> during the pandemic said, <clears throat> and Robert said she's determined that the children get an early exposure to subjects such as history of money and how currency trading works, especially those from black, Latino, or other communities who said may be less likely to learn about digital currencies through family, friends, or school. Quote, that's what kids need to focus on, taking this into the inner city so that kids during their breaks can get a taste of emerging technologies. We really wanted to help the black and brown communities close the wealth gap, end quote. Children attend the camp for a one-week session where each day they learn about a different emerging technology. Roberts has an acronym, Beast Mode, <laughs> to keep track of the breadth of material they cover. Blockchain evolution of money, artificial intelligence, security, technology, mining, and machine learning, and online gaming. Drones and engineering. Holy shit, man. Woman is in Beast Mode. Campers this week included children from as far away as Texas and New Jersey, Staying with parents in hotel rooms, she said. There's no minimum age to buy or hold an online token such as Bitcoin, just as there isn't a minimum age to hold U.S. dollars and cents. Many cryptocurrency exchanges have a minimum age in their terms of service, which is often 18 years old, and enforce the requirement through banking-style know-your-customer rules, but not all exchanges do. Cryptocurrencies have been through a wild ride in the past year, with many rising and falling sharply in a matter of months. And while there remains plenty of skepticism about cryptocurrencies, some in the tech industry remain convinced that they will be a big part of the future. Andreessen Horowitz, one of the largest venture capital firms, said Thursday it had raised $2.2 billion for a new fund targeted at cryptocurrencies and related technologies. About 9% of teenagers say they have traded cryptocurrency, according to a survey this year of 7,000 U.S. teens by the investment bank Piper Sandler. Of those, 81% were male, the bank found. Not that we really need to know that, but whatever. At, and for some young people, an online wallet for Bitcoin sparks a lot more excitement than an old alternative. A traditional kid's savings account at a commercial bank opened with the approval and monitoring of a parent or guardian. Quote, it's a digital currency that's going to take over this universe, said Ashlyn Witt, who attended Robert's first crypto kids camp two years ago at age 16. Now 18, she said the camp taught her how to build a mining machine from scratch, helping her make 200 bucks. Quote, it expanded my mind, she said. Her mother, Angelique Johnson, was also impressed. Quote, I'm sure that the Girl Scouts do technology classes, but this is one-on-one -on -one and the speakers were phenomenal. If this could be duplicated in every city, it would be so awesome. Witt is now working for Roberts and planning to attend Santa Monica College this fall to study computer science while also trying to expand the popularity of digital currencies. My friends, this is a quote, my friends, they're looking, they're looking at money in a different way than just buying the latest pair of shoes, she said. Bitcoin is going somewhere. Any company and any store is going to accept Bitcoin or some type of digital currency, end quote. Robert's camp may be the only one of its kind in the U.S., though it's beginning to inspire others, especially among black Bitcoin investors. 
Uh, Isaiah Johnson, author of the book Bitcoin in Black America and the Bitcoin Podcaster, said he plans to start taking signups next week for an online-only cryptocurrency camp in July. Part of the motivation, he said, is making sure black youth don't get left behind in an emerging field the way that they were in the development of the internet. No major tech CEOs are black, he noted. <clears throat> Quote, if Bitcoin's going to become mainstream, Black people need to be involved, so we need to start now. Bitcoin's literally made uh, made for us to be self-sovereign. Oh, dude, couldn't have said it better myself. Nice. It, yeah, it goes on a little bit, but we need to get to the numbers. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and, and end it there because you get the gist. Now, the one thing that I don't like about this is the trading of cryptocurrencies. There's not a five-year-old on the face of this planet that needs to learn how to go on to Kraken and trade shit coins. That, th that part of the story, I am not enamored with. Not one bit. I don't think she should have been doing that, but it's not my camp. Not my camp, not my keys, not my kids. Let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids doing well this morning. We got West Texas Intermediate up almost half a point to $75.50 a barrel. Brenton North Sea likewise up almost, almost 0.4%. It's coming in at $76.47 per barrel. Natural gas up a half point, $3.71 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline futures up a quarter, $2.30 a gallon. Uh, shiny, <clears throat> excuse me, shiny metal rocks also doing well. Gold is up almost half a point, $1,791.90. Silver up 0.6 of a percent, $26.66. Platinum up, uh, ooh, man, up like a point and a half. Copper is up a point and a third. Palladium is up almost a point. Uh, most agricultural, future, agricultural futures are unchanged. I don't know why, but sugar, however, is up one and a half and coffee is down 2.14 percent dow futures are oh looks like all the markets are just going to be swinging sideways today dow futures up 0.07 percent likewise everything else is down but damn near where it's unintelligible as to what it's actually going to do so just markets are going to move sideways today uh real money we got bitcoin at thirty-four thousand two hundred sixteen dollars and fifty-eight cents 196,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is 8,196 transactions per hour with 500,000 BTC being traded in the last 24 hours is 20,500 BTC being sent every hour on the hour on average with an average transaction value of 2.5 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.022 BTC which is $760 block times just fell below 12 minutes we are at 11 minutes and 43 seconds. So even with the massive difficulty drop, it still didn't retarget all the way down to 10 minutes. This is historic. We're in a historic time of Bitcoin. All you dudes that got in that were like, I'm just going to pause here to say this. I've seen several people over the last few weeks say things like, well, I didn't get in until 2018. So I wasn't part of, you know, pick your story. The Roger Ver battles, the 20,000 cat peak, the Jihan Wu sacrificing himself on the altar of whatever for 
BCH. I don't know. It, it like pick your battle ribbon. All right. And I've seen people bemoaning the fact that they don't have those scars. They don't, they didn't live through that shit. Hey, bro, I didn't live through Mount Gox, but I did live through the Roger Ver shit and the 20,000 and the Jihan Wu and the Craig Wright shit. I got those battle ribbons, but I don't have the battle ribbons of the Bitcoin pizza. I don't have the battle ribbons of Mount Gox. I don't have any of that shit, but I got my stripes. You are going to get your stripes. That is guaranteed. You do not have to worry about whether or not you're going to get battle ribbons out of being in Bitcoin. All you got to do is be patient. And some silly son of a bitch somewhere will do something. And in this particular case, you're living, living through Bitcoin history. You're getting your stripes right now with this whole difficulty thing in the Chinese mining crap, right? That's a stripe you can wear and you can be proud that you made it to the other side and didn't sell. By the way, don't sell. <clears throat> 0.36 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. 44.8 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 3.58% increase in hash rate, we are up to 87.85 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator, as always, is Dogecoin at 22 pennies. Almost a quarter of a US dollar. <clears throat> It ain't worth spit. Stop playing with Doge, for God's sakes. Clark Moody is seeing only 2,700 transactions that are waiting on two blocks to clear. We have a market capitalization of $630.2 billion, which is 5.39% of gold's market cap. And for one Bitcoin, you can buy 18.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks. 18,748,009, sorry, 329.00 BTC are in circulation at this time. 1,669.9 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $56.1 million, being run over 12,268 nodes that we can see with, wow, 52,190 channels, 65.8% of the Lightning Network is now being run over Tor. Man, good, I, I, I love to see that. There are 1,098.32 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that's being run over 6,803 Tor nodes that we know about. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We have this one starting a coin telegraph from Iran Kramen, or Kahraman, I guess is how you pronounce it. <clears throat> China crypto ban, a huge opportunity for Canada. China's regulatory crackdown on cryptocurrencies continues to alienate major miners. Dubai-based investment company IBC Group reportedly plans to end Bitcoin and Ethereum mining operations in China following ban announcements from the different provinces across the country. The group has major mining operations in China and plans to distribute its operations to the uh, United Arab Emirates, Canada, the United States, Kazakhstan, Iceland, and various South American countries. According to sources, IBC Group recently relocated its headquarters to Toronto, Canada. Commenting on the crackdown on crypto with a focus on mining activities, IBC Group Chairman and iMining CEO Kuram Shroff said it's a temporary inconvenience he added that the diversified location of mining facilities is great news for the rest of the world. Quote, 
a shift in crypto mining operations out of China will be a huge opportunity for Canada. The Toronto Stock Exchange recently listed the world's first Bitcoin ETF, so the nation is already ahead of the curve in terms of mainstreaming cryptocurrencies, end quote. China turned its attention to crypto mining industry's energy consumption following the large-scale power outages in the Chinese mining hub of Xinjiang in mid-April. This was followed by stricter supervision by the government sending a shockwave through the crypto markets. However, experts from the industry have mostly agreed since then that while the initial shakeup will be arduous and challenging, miners' migration out of China will nurture the decentralization of crypto. Galaxy Digital's Mike Novogratz saw a big net positive for the Bitcoin ecosystem for the long term, while former Gemini security engineer Brandon Arvagni stressed, quote, the crackdown means that Bitcoin is working, that not that it's failing, end quote. Yep, yep. I mean, we can, people can bitch and moan about the mining difficulty adjustment, you know, and, and, and try to tell you that it's bad, but it's not bad. It's just, it works. It's doing exactly what it was designed to do under exactly the types of things that it, that it did, right? I, a bunch of Chinese miners pulled, their, pulled the plugs on their machines. It took 14 minutes to mine a block. The protocol doesn't like that shit. It wants 10 minute blocks. So what does it do? It assesses the situation every 2016 blocks and adjusts the difficulty up or down depending on what's going on. It's doing exactly what it was designed to do. It works every single two weeks. It's never failed. Out of all the two-week, you know, mining or difficulty epochs of in the entire history of the Bitcoin chain, going back down to where this shit didn't have the security of a fucking Terra hash, and it's it worked. It worked every two weeks, every 216 blocks, every single time on the nose, did exactly what it was supposed to do. So any of the people that are spreading FUD about how this is just showing you how Bitcoin doesn't work, they don't know their ass from a hole in the ground, right? They don't. They just don't. You know more than they do, okay? And you can, you wear your battle ribbons with pride, people. When somebody says some silly crap like that, you, you have every right to correct their dumb ass because they don't know what they're talking about. Now, Bitcoin supply held by whale entities hits a two-month high in a bullish sign. This is Coindesk's Omkar Godbowl. Wealthy investors look to be making a comeback into the Bitcoin market, a blockchain metric that warned of a price drop in early May shows. The number of coins held by whale entities rose by over 80,000 to 4.216 million BTC on Friday, hitting the highest level since May. The tally remained largely unchanged on Saturday, according to data provided by Glassnode. The number of whale entities has also jumped to a three-week high of 1,922. The renewed accumulation by whale entities is good news for the market as these wealthy investors played a significant role in powering Bitcoin higher from 10,000 to nearly 60,000 during the five months to February 2021. The balance held by whale entities rose in tandem with the price during the bull run, hitting a record of $4.52 million on February the 8th. 
Whales became sellers in the subsequent months, taking the wind out of the bull run, and by early May, their Bitcoin stash had dropped by 8% to 4.17 million BTC. Bitcoin mostly remained coiled in the range of 50,000 to 60,000 during the period, barring a brief spike to a record high of $64,801 in mid-April. The price action highlighted the inability of smaller investors to do the heavy lifting and signaled the potential for a notable price correction. Bitcoin fell by 35% in May, hitting lows near 30,000 and dipped further to $29,031 in June per Coindesk 20 data. The latest uptick in the whale balance suggests the bottom may have been reached. The cryptocurrency is trading near 35,500 at press time, representing a 2.3% gain on the day. So what is, in case you don't know what a whale is, it's just those guys that hold anywhere between 1,000 and 10,000 BTC in a wallet. That's, that's all a whale means. All right, <clears throat> so is it good? I don't know, everything's good for Bitcoin, including downward difficulty adjustments. So this is, honestly though, this is kind of not surprising me. Um, we've been ranging for a while at these, at this, you know, in the thirties. God, it seems like, it seems like years now, but it's only been a few weeks. Um, but yeah, the, it, it, it reminds me to, you know, it reminds me to be humble when we were bitching about how it never broke out, it was just not going to get out of 58K and you got the 58K gang hanging around on Twitter now. And uh, I wish, I wish it was back to 58K. I wish, but we'll have to wait and see. Bitcoin seized by Ohio Department of Justice are sold for more than $19 million. Oh my God. Jamie Crawley has it for Coindesk. Bitcoin seized in a fraud investigation by the United States Department of Justice's Northern District of Ohio returned $19.2 million when sold, the Blade reported. The crypto was seized from Mark Simon, an Ohio man arrested and convicted for producing and selling false identification documents such as driver's licenses. Simon's clients paid for the documents in Bitcoin. <clears throat> an initial indictment of Simon and his alleged accomplices in March of 2018 stated that prosecutors were seeking to forfeit 500 BTC worth an estimated $5.1 million at the time. The Bitcoin was worth around 2.9 million when surrendered to the federal government in 2019, the Blade said. The Bitcoin were sold for more than $19 million, the report said, citing acting U.S. Attorney Bridget Brennan. It was the largest net forfeiture in Northern District of Ohio's history, she said on Thursday. Simon pleaded guilty. He was sentenced to 24 months in prison and agreed to the forfeiture of the crypto. Uh, how did they even know that he had it, is my question. I, I mean, if you did it right, they should, I mean, it shouldn't have even been a question. They should have just seen empty, like an empty bank account like 40 bucks in it. And then they, you know, ask him where, you know, you, you made all this money by producing false documents. Where is it? What you don't say is I took it in Bitcoin and here's my private keys. Please sell all my Bitcoin for me. I don't know, man. I, I, I've read every time I read one of these stories and there's not, there's not any clear pathway to how they got a hold of the freaking private keys. It, I don't know, man. It, 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 it's not that it rubs me the wrong way. It just kind of makes me wonder if this is all bullshit. You know, because it's like, how did you get the keys? Did you $5 wrench attack his ass? 
Did you waterboard him? You know, I mean, why did he just so easily say that he's got Bitcoin uh, and that he didn't lose it in a boating accident, which I know is kind of stupid. If you're in like, you know, basically being shook, shook down by the FBI or something like that, I get that the whole boating accident thing is probably not going to be worth your while, but you can just say, I don't know, man, I lost it or, or something else. But what you don't do is you don't surrender the keys. You don't even... And that's actually the best part about this is that if you can just stash the keys somewhere that is really, really difficult to get to, I, I don't know, man. It's like, I guess I could, I, I could pontificate on this all day long and still not come up with, with a really clear cut way to, if you get, if you get screwed, well, first of all, don't do shit that's illegal. Like, you know, if you're going to falsify documents, you're probably going to get caught at one point or another. So try not to do that, I suppose, unless you want to make me some some fake COVID documents. I'll, I'll definitely be interested in that shit. But in either event, you know, how, what's the best way to not be able to forfeit your access to your private keys is the question. Is it multi-sig and multi-jurisdictional where they actually literally have to fly your ass to four different countries? Is that the best way? Is is it a boating accident? Is it straight up lying to them? I don't know, man. You tell me. I'm on Twitter. You can get to me. My DMs are open at B-E-N-N-D-7-7. That's at B-E-N-N-D-7-7. Moving to the east. Japan's CBDC to get a clearer picture by 2022, says government official. A political figure who heads a panel on digital currencies for Japan's ruling party has said his country will have a better idea of what to expect from a digital yen by the end of 2022. By the way, this is Coindesk, Sebastian Sinclair. Reuter, Reuters reported Monday that Hideki Murai of the Liberal Democratic Party said Japan would soon have a clear view of what a central bank digital currency would look like. The official also said more details on the CBDC's design may kick up a debate on how its issuance could impact financial institutions. The concerns run contrary to the bank's conclusion that a digital yen would not adversely affect private businesses provided they were designed appropriately. Mirai said commercial banks would stand to benefit from a shift back to the bank's control over customer data and business. If the BOJ were to issue CBDC, <clears throat> it would have a huge impact on financial institutions in Japan's settlement system, said Mirai. As cited in the report, CBDCs has the, have the potential to completely reshape changes occurring in Japan's financial industry, end quote. In March, the Bank of Japan launched a liaison and coordination committee ahead of its plans to conduct an initial experiment on proof-of-concept phase in April. While the central bank stressed it was not ready to implement a CBDC, the latest comments from a public official demonstrate a willingness to pursue the issue further. China, which currently leads the world in CBDC experimentation and implementation, has been trudging along with its efforts to digitize its national currency. China expects to have some parts of its CBDC in circulation by the time the Winter Olympics in Beijing rolls around in February next year. The Bank of Japan, however, does not view this as a threat to the U.S. dollar and its status as a global reserve currency, according to previous reports. Though the bank's plans, uh, yeah, though the bank plans to push ahead with the CBDC indicates it is at least keeping China's plans firmly on its radar. Quote, if a digital yuan becomes so convenient it's frequently used by tourists and becomes a main settlement means of trade, the relationship between the yen and the yuan could change, degrading the yen's status as a safe haven currency, 
said Mirai. Uh, so there looks. I remember when Japan was saying that they had no intention of even looking at a CBDC, and that was like a year and a half ago. Now here, here we are, you know, catching up, y'all. They're catching up. Oh God! And they caught up with the mole rat. Naked mole rat. Oh, God. Coinbase CEO met with Federal Reserve Chair Powell in May. Yeah, let's get into it. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell took a meeting with Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong on May the 11th, according to Fed Records. Paul Ryan, former Speaker of the House, was also present at the meeting. On May the 14th, Armstrong tweeted about having spent most of the week in D.C. meeting with members of Congress and heads of various federal agencies, but didn't specifically mention Jerome Powell. The meeting was held less than a week before the Fed announced plans to release a discussion paper detailing its research into a central bank digital currency. The Fed has been studying digital money for some time. It has been exploring CBDCs or central bank digital currencies as a kind of state-controlled digital dollar, though Powell has stressed that there's no rush to develop one. Bullshit. Powell has repeatedly stated that, though China is already piloting its own state-rolled digital currency, the U.S. should continue to proceed with caution. <clears throat> the design of a CBDC would raise important monetary policy, financial stability, consumer protection, legal, and privacy considerations, and will require careful thought and analysis, including input from the public and elected officials, the Fed chair said in a video message on May the 20th. And I'm just, I'm, I'm distracted because I'm seeing, oh my God, it's a picture of the naked mole rat himself standing next to Nancy Pelosi, the ghoul. Oh man, it's two naked mole rats. One day prior, on May the 19th, the acting currency comptroller, Michael Sue suggested forming an interagency task force with the Fed and FDIC specifically dedicated to crypto. Now here's the thing. The May 11th meeting between Armstrong and Powell coincided with a crash in the price of Bitcoin and all other cryptocurrencies. Over the course of that week, Bitcoin dipped from a high of the, in the 50s to around $40,000. So there's a, I've, I've seen this before. A couple of people have tweeted out like, you know, a graph showing the price crash versus where uh, Powell met with the naked mole rat. Uh, and it, I mean, you know, Causation doesn't necessarily mean correlation or vice versa, however you want to term it. But still, still, I don't know. I don't know, man. We'll have to, you just got to keep your eyes on Brian Armstrong. He is not a good actor in the space. He doesn't like Bitcoin, even though it's made him a fortune. The whole reason he has a company is because of Bitcoin. The whole reason any of us are here is because of Bitcoin. I just, I don't understand why people don't like Bitcoin that who, whose livelihoods depend on that that was created by Bitcoin. Do you understand it? Because I don't get it. I, I don't know. I'm probably just dumb. Whatever. Ex-Cryptopia employee pleads guilty to stealing $170,000 in crypto. This is Coindesk. Again, Sebastian Sinclair, a former employee of the now-defunct New Zealand-based cryptocurrency exchange Cryptopia has pled guilty to charges of stealing oh, $245,000. Actually, it's, it, that's New Zealand dollars. 
171,969 United States dollars is is the value of the of the shit coins that he sold apparently. A district court has afforded an interim name suppression on the ex-employee who admitted to two charges including theft by a person in a special relationship and theft over $1,000 local news outlet stuff reported on Monday. During his time at the exchange, the unnamed employee created copies of Cryptopia's private keys, saving them to a USB storage drive before taking it home and uploading the data to his personal computer. At its height, the New Zealand-based exchange, now in liquidation following a disastrous hack in 2019, employed more than 80 staff while servicing 1.4 million customers globally. Following the hack, all customer accounts totaling more than $100 million in today's prices were frozen after more than $17 million in Ethereum and other shitcoins were stolen. Liquidation proceedings were then established in an attempt to recover affected former users of the exchange. The man, whose charges are unrelated to the 2019 hack, then told Crypto, Cryptopia's liquidators, Grant Thornton, in September that he had deposited some Bitcoin into an old Cryptopia wallet and requested that they be returned, Steph reported. The man also admitted to having returned a portion of the stolen funds, offering to pay the remainder over time. Grant Thornton, upon reviewing a number of transactions, found that 13 Bitcoin had been siphoned off from a number of wallets. The liquidator also discovered two of those Bitcoin had been put through a crypto mixer in an attempt to conceal their provenance. The total amount of Bitcoin was worth about 164950 at the time. It was later revealed a further $10,000 in various other crypto had also been taken. Upon hearing that Grant Thornton was reviewing the exchange's old deposit wallets, the man confessed. The former employee then told the liquidators he intended to return all of the stolen funds, provided he was granted assurance he would not be prosecuted and did so the following day, telling his partner he'd given it all back. Quote, the defendant admitted that he was frustrated with Cryptopia, but also motivated by the belief that he could get away with the theft as he thought nobody would ever check the old deposit wallets. A summary of the facts is reported by Steph Reeves. You didn't think they'd check? Ugh. For God's sakes, people. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Okay, let's begin the week with Dad Says Jokes. I've got this awful disease where I can't stop making airport jokes. The doctor says it's terminal. Get it? Terminal? It's, okay, whatever. Hey, listen to me on the Breeze Wallet. Again, not a sponsor, but I'm incentivized to say it. Why? Well, because I haven't, I, I haven't gotten anything in a while, man. I, I miss the sats coming in. I miss connecting to, you know, like my lightning node via Thunderhub and watching that shit roll in because it's fun. It's fun to watch like a payment of nine Satoshi come in like every couple of minutes. I, there's just something about it that makes me feel good and I hadn't seen it in a while. So if you want to help a brother out, Spread the word, man. Get you know, Tell other people to listen to the podcast. I'm back on iTunes. Uh, Apple finally fixed my little red wagon. And as far as I know, it's holding. So if you go leave me a five-star review over there, that's always fun too. And then listen to me on the Breeze Wallet. And I guess I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... 
and I am your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.